Welcome back. I'm Sean Afkaminia, and this is episode eight of the Footy Pod. Today's guest is a teammate of mine on our uh, FF Premier UPSL team. He's also a youth coach for Colleyville Evolution, and he also has professional playing experience back home in Ireland and even has four games in the UEFA Europa League under his belt on his resume as well. So, Tomas Boyle, thanks for being here, man. Thank you, Sean. Happy to be here. Yes, Sorry it's taken you know, so long to... I had to figure this out, but you know, happy to be here, and you know, hopefully, I can you know share some you know experience and I guess knowledge for people to yeah you know kind of take and run with. I know, yeah, definitely, and we're looking forward to hearing your story. I feel like I haven't seen you in ages with all this rain. You know, we can't get a freaking practice in. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just the nature of the beast, isn't it? North it Texas, is. you know, spring season, it's just you know it's difficult for everyone. Yeah. Definitely. So I know your life has changed quite drastically since I first met you about a year ago. Yeah. You just had uh, your first child, little baby girl. How's but she's grown up quickly. You know, it, it's been a while now. Since yeah, she's guys... um, she'll be sixteen months now in two days, three days. Sorry, so she'll be sixteen months in three days. So again, yeah, life has changed. You know, dramatically for me in the last, you know, even year, year and a half. You know, we've been in the country three years, and if you first told me when I first came here I'd be married and yeah. have a baby in three years, I'd be like, no, you're, yeah. you're off your head. <laughs> slow down, slow down. So, uh, no, but it's been fantastic, it's been a blessing, you know, um, you know, the birth of my daughter was the best day of my life, and, you know, she makes everything, everything easier, and she, yeah. even after a tough day of coaching or a tough day, you know, you go home, you see her, and it's just... Everything, you know, everything else doesn't really matter. Exactly. It's just a little smile or a little giggle or, yeah. or whatever. You know, she's just fantastic. So, you know, for me, it's and it's a blessing to have Chloe, you know, in our lives. So. That's the way I feel about my dog, too. That's it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, overall, how's it been, like, adjusting to parenthood and whatnot? It's been, it's, it's been tough. It's been tough. Um, you know, new challenges. You know, you can't kind of do, like, the simple things, especially when the baby is... You know, so small. Like I used to always be going to coffee shops and working and yeah. planning sessions and that kind of thing. But you know, as soon as you have a kid or like a baby, your whole life changes. Like even like the simple things, like you know, kind of going to a coffee shop, you can't do that. If yeah. you want to do that, you got to plan like in advance. Right? Do I have the diapers? Do I have her bag? Do I have her change? Change her clothes? Um, does she have food or milk or a bottle or whatever? So it is difficult when they're at that kind of really, really young age. Um, but now she's just at daycare, so I've got a lot more kind of free time on my yeah. hands now. So um, You've been able to take a, a little deep yeah, breath. Yeah, so again, like how it worked at the start was, you know, because Tristan, uh, she took three months off when, when we had the baby, so her work allowed her to do that, so that was great. And so then for the first three months, the, the two of us could kind of take care of Chloe during the day because um, I don't work till the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once Tristan went back to work, then I would mind Chloe, I guess, from whenever, 7 a.m. To, to probably... 2 to 3 o'clock and then her mum would come over for 2 hours and take care of Chloe and then Tristan would get back from work and then she'd take care of Chloe so yeah just kind of passing her off yeah it was it was, it was trying to get into some sort of a schedule or routine and we're very lucky that you know because my family aren't here you know mm-hmm. they're back you know in Ireland so we're very lucky that Tristan's mum kind of is retired so she's always willing to help yeah, happy to help blessing. you nearly have to like her we're, we're good for yeah. now you know? like she's 
she's really really on top of things so you know she's uh, she's a massive help and even Tristan's dad as well comes over the odd time to help as well so yeah. you know we're very lucky that you know uh, we have family that are willing to help and yeah. you know lend a hand for sure so I just think it's funny like you know obviously in Ireland there are all types of different people just like there are here but there's that you know typical view of what an Irish person looks like like fair skin blonde hair or red hair you don't necessarily look like you would be from Ireland, but your daughter couldn't look more Irish. Crazy, yeah. I know. How does that happen? It's, it, I mean, it's ridiculous, you know. Um, I don't know how she came out with curly red hair, you know. <laughs> um, I've got black hair, Tristan's got black hair. You know, again, if you looked at the two of us and looked at Chloe, you'd be like, there's no way you two yeah. are parents. But again, over time now, you know, her facial fe- uh, features, she's starting to really look like Tristan. You know, apart from her eyes, she's got my eyes, but everything else is Tristan, and even her little mannerisms, you know, it's kind of similar to yeah. Tristan, she's a little bit sassy, yeah. you know, like Tristan, so, no, it's good, but again, yeah, she looks like an Irish baby, she's got that, you know, typical ginger yeah. hair, but it's, I guess, I don't know. That's funny. So, where in Ireland are you from, exactly? So, I'm from Kildare, a small county, I guess, close to Dublin. So if you don't know Ireland, we've got 32 counties, um, and yeah, Dublin is the capital, and then Kildare is beside that, and I'm like 20 minutes from Dublin. But I was actually born in Galway, but grew up in Kildare. So the counties are more like states? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. So we've got 32 counties, um, and then some of that is split off into Northern Ireland, and some of it is Republic yeah. of Ireland, so... Oh, there are some counties that are actually split by that border? So, there's, I think it's, it's six counties that are in the north, and then the rest are part of the republic. Okay, gotcha. But, um, but yeah, 32 counties in the country of Ireland, yeah. are on, on the Isle of Ireland, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, Dublin's the capital. I was born in Galway, which is on the west side, and then Kildare is on the east side. Gotcha. Close to Dublin. My roommate in college was from Caroline. So Cork, yeah, so Cork is down south. So again, if you could draw a map, like Kildare is here, Gaul is here, Cork is down here, and then Dublin is kind of right there. Okay, there. so like a little North triangle. Would be up there. Yeah. So it's only, a small, it's only a small country. Like I think when I first came over here to Texas, people were telling me, like, you know, Texas, the state of Texas is like eight and a half times the size of Ireland. That's crazy. So like, you could drive from the bottom of Ireland to the top of Ireland in four hours. Whereas in Texas, I think it's like nine and a half. I don't know what it is. But That's just a trip down to Houston. But yeah, exactly. So um, I guess everything in Texas is bigger. Yeah. So. Dang right. Um, so tell me about like, you know, your, I guess when you started playing, um, when you started getting involved into more like organized competitive soccer. Yeah. So I guess back home, you know, we've got a couple of different sports. You know, I guess soccer is up there with the big sports. Then we've two kind of Irish sports that are quite quite popular, so Gaelic football and then hurling and then rugby. So they'd probably be the, the, the four kind of main sports for kids. Were you involved in the other ones? Yeah, so so for me, I'd always love soccer, always love soccer, um, and then I always played Ga and hurling as well uh, growing up. I was, I was better at Ga, I was decent at hurling, but I was quite good at Gaelic football. Um, I guess Ga is a short term for yeah, yeah. But um, I was quite good at Ga as well. So um, 
played soccer, played gas, so on, on the weekend I could have, you know, three or four different games, you know, depending on sports. But at that age you can play as that well. Age. So yeah, I probably started playing probably maybe competitively at like maybe six or seven, I think, but you would always play like in the garden yeah. or on the streets or with your friends in the neighbourhood where you stay. Um, but my dad, he um, he loves rugby. He played rugby for Connacht when he was younger, like he was twenties. Um, he loves rugby. Uh, he always wanted me to play rugby, but it never quite worked out. It was always the same day as soccer, so he knew I, you know, I love soccer more. And I actually tried out for the for the rugby team once, and I think I played one or two games. But Scarf after that, it was just like, I'm sorry, like yeah. You know, was it the contact or no? It was just. It was no, I still like like you know, I still watch rugby, I like yeah. it, but um you know, I I just prefer soccer and yeah. Gaelic, you know. Um So what's the difference between Gaelic football and rugby? Because I know it's very similar, right? So Gaelic football, it's uh fifteen v fifteen. Um you got a keeper on both teams, you got uh three players in the full back line, three players in the half back line, two midfielders. Three players in the half forward line, three players in the full forward line, and then in Gaelic, um, you you run with the ball in your hands. Mm-hmm. Every four steps, you have to bounce it or okay. solo it. Is it an egg shaped ball? No, it's like it's pretty much the same as soccer ball. Oh, Maybe really? a little bit harder, but a similar size size yeah. five soccer. Yeah, it's just got a different feel, but it's very very similar to a soccer ball. Um, so every four steps you have either bounce it or solo it um, if you kick it over the bar you get one point if you get it in the goals you get three points games I think and the are, goal is like a soccer goal yeah, yeah. oh okay goal is like a soccer goal and then the bars go but you can throw it you can no you it. have to kick it okay. yeah, yeah you have to kick it or you can uh, kind of hand pass it over the bar um, so it's, it's kind of hard to explain it's easier kind of to watch yeah, if, you, yeah. if you looked at it on YouTube and then for hurling um, same again, fifteen v fifteen. But I guess it's kind of like, I guess hockey, if you want to say, like everyone has a stick. Mm. It's called a hurl. It's made from uh, ash, uh, ash of three or whatever. And then everyone's got a hurl, and, and everyone, and then there's one slitter, and slitter is the ball. It's like a small letter ball, and um, yeah, you throw it, you hit it, and over the bar is one, in the net is three. So. It's hard to explain again. It's probably yeah. easier to watch. And again, I'd always tell people to try to watch hurling at yeah. a high level. It's fantastic. I think it's the fastest sport in the world. Really? But um, And then back home, then we have an All-Ireland. So each county has a team at the senior level. Uh-huh. And they play until the All-Ireland final, which is typically in September, for either Gaelic or hurling. And I think the... Dublin have won the Gaelic the last, I think, three or four years, and then Hurling last year, I think Tipperary won it. So nice. So there's a couple of strong counties. What what level did you play at? So I was I was really good at Gaelic and I was really good at soccer, and um, or so I thought. And then I had to I was playing average level soccer, kind of just with my mates, like on a local team. And then for Gaelic, I was playing for the club team, like the parish team. Um, so Selbridge was our was our parish, um, and then when you get to a certain level, you play for your county, which would be Kildare for me. And I was at that level to play for Kildare, so I played for. Kildare. And how old were you at this time? Played for Kildare probably from like you, maybe fourteen to you 
16. Okay. And then maybe at, at that age group then I had to, because I was getting, I was getting better at soccer and um, I wanted to play at a more competitive level and I was really, really bad with injuries. Um, I was always getting injured, um, always like hamstrings or groins. Yeah. And I had to then make a choice, you know, what did I want uh, for myself? Do I want to be a soccer player or a golf player? Where did I see my future? What was I better? Where is my potential, you know, going in each sport? So I chose, I chose soccer and um, probably back then, my main kind of reason would have been, you know, it offered a lot more because uh, Gaelic is amateur. It's future opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So Gaelic football is amateur. You know, no one gets paid for Gaelic. Mm-hmm. You know, back home, so it's you know it's an amateur sport. Whereas, you know, me <coughs> for soccer, I was like, if if I get to a certain level, I can potentially go to England or play for my country or yeah, or, or do whatever. So. And then you get paid for soccer. There's a much higher ceiling. Yeah, so I chose soccer, and I guess, you know, if you fast forward all these years, it probably did work out. But um, yeah, just a lot of injuries, had to choose. I got to that age where I was getting injured and I couldn't play two sports anymore, and I had to really kind of dedicate my time to one sport. Yeah. And I chose, I chose soccer. I think that's the age that a lot of people start to just focus on one thing. Because, you know, here in America, obviously, a lot of uh kids play everything growing up you know i did the same i played baseball i played basketball i played you know tag football and stuff is before like we were even old enough to do pads or anything like that but i gave it a shot when i got to high school and at that time i was too little and it was just like why are you doing that why are you wasting your time but yeah i started to focus on soccer about eighth grade so that would have been about the same age that you would have started to focus on soccer as well so at that point, um, were you, did you stay with that same club or? So I was probably um, I was probably a little bit kind of naive about the whole kind of soccer kind of scene growing up, um, and my parents didn't really know much about it either. So I was happy to play with my friends, yeah. you know, on the local team, and we weren't the worst, we weren't the best either. So back home, like I think I played with that team, uh, Bally Ulster was the name of the club. Played with that team probably from the age of like five or six up to up to probably up to sixteen. Fifteen or sixteen. But from the age of like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, I played very, very little because mm-hmm. I was injured a lot. Gotcha. So I missed a big, big chunk. And I That's was an early age to be getting yeah, injured. I was horrible, horrible. So it was all muscle injuries? It was like my groin, nobody could figure out what was wrong yeah. with it, and my hamstring, and it was just a combination of them too, and I went to all these different physios, That's crazy. experts, and nobody could figure out what was wrong. Yeah, I mean, I mean maybe not, it was in my head, I'm not yeah. sure, but um, eventually then, after like seeing all these people, and I couldn't really get right, I just got like, I think someone gave me like a cortisone injection and then I was like, well, I'm just going to play through pain and then yeah. eventually it just kind of just kind of went away. Went away. But um, yeah, going back to the to the soccer scene, we're kind of bad at sort of playing with mates and we were all quite good and um, I was unaware of the kind of standards or kind of what needed to, um, I guess, be done to get to the highest level or to, you know, attract the English scouts or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um how it works back home it's kind of changed now but when I was playing it was at the 
DDSL, so the Dublin District Schoolboys League, that was like the strongest league in Ireland. So you'd have kids from different counties around Ireland, like kids from Donegal, way up north, kids from Cork, kids from Galway, being pulled into these stronger teams, um, you know, because there's more opportunities to play yeah. in Dublin and more scouts come to Dublin and you want to go to England, that's your route there. So it went DDSL Premier, DDSL Major, Major 1 and then A. And okay. it kept on going down. And I think we were, <coughs> excuse me, I think we were, we were like in the A division, so like two or three away from the top. But we were still quite good and we were playing good and we were winning much, like, you know, a lot of our games and we were getting promoted and then we went up to the major league and we done well. So all these leagues are like national leagues, basically. Like, were they all, you play all your games in Dublin or was yeah, it still so, more regional? No, so you play in Dublin, so it's all teams in Dublin, but like Dublin always had the strongest, the strongest okay. league. And maybe a couple of teams from Cork might be strong or the odd team from Galway would be strong. So they might travel Devon. up there. But yeah, and then, then for the national, for like the All-Ireland uh, tournament, it was called like the SFA I Cup. Um, that was where every team in the country would be entered into a draw and you play until it gets to like a winner. Like, so it'll be like the last 32, the last 16, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the final. Gotcha. Um, but, like, uh, as I said, Dublin was like the powerhouse. All the best club teams were in Dublin. So if you were a really, really good player in a county that probably didn't have a lot of good soccer teams, maybe a good team in Dublin would try and pick you up. Pick you up yeah. and you practice once a week and play for them on the weekends or whatever. Gotcha. So like you'd have some kids that would be driving three hours to practice and then driving back the same night. Um, but it was just what happened back home, it just became the norm. So then when I guess I came to U14, again I was injured, U15 injured, U16 kind of getting back from an injury. So I missed a good chunk there to try out for a better team or to see if I was good enough to play for a better team. Um, so then when I figured out the whole injury situation and I started to come back and play, played at a low level, like a, maybe a second team in Bally Ulster at that age group, just to get back playing and to kind of re-energize myself because I was in a bad place with all yeah. these injuries. Like, I was like, oh, you know, I'm not going to play anymore. Like, I'm never going to get back playing. It's the worst thing that ever happened to me. Want to play in England? I want it to takes play a toll on you. It's 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 difficult. Like you know, like it definitely plays your mind. And, yeah. You know, you you try to tell yourself you're gonna get back, but you know, you try to it's, be. It's hard, hard to see. It's hard to see that yeah. uh, that light at the end of the tunnel. You know. Um. So, then U sixteen. Um. I was getting back playing at a low level. I was enjoying it again. Our school team was doing well. I was playing for that, so that was good. And then. That summer, that summer is when the tryouts happen, right? So there's a couple of big kind of clubs in Dublin, you know. Uh, you got Crumlin, St. Kevin, St. Joseph's, Terry Orchard, um, all these teams, uh, Belvedere, are all the kind of stronger kind of schoolboy clubs in Dublin. To where I lived in Selbridge, the closest, I guess, good team to me, or strong team to me, would have been Cherry Orchard. So they were in the top division. So, um, one of the players that used to play for me signed for that team the year before. I used to play on my team. Got signed it. for that team the year before, so I said, right, I'm going to try out for that team. Yeah. They're the top league if I make it and I do well. Maybe a couple of 
scout scene. You, know, you already you had know. that kind of in with them. Yeah, so I knew he was there. I'd watched him play a couple of times, and I was like, yeah, I, I can definitely play at that level. I'm, I'm definitely good enough. I just need the opportunity, you yeah. know, and someone to, you know, believe in me or whatever. So I remember I went for the tryout on the Saturday morning, and loads of kids were trying out for that team. They just did a game, um, and I'd done well in the game. I was happy enough with how I did in the game. And then we practiced on the Tuesday, and I'd done okay in that practice again. I thought I was you know, definitely going to make the team. And then that Tuesday night, at the end of the practice, the manager goes to me, yeah, you're not going to make the team. Really? So I came as a shock to you. So I was, I was distraught. Yeah. I was like in bits, like way home from the practice. I was crying in the car and everything. Like, so I was like, not going to play soccer anymore and fed up with it. Like, no one's giving me a chance, like I need to play at this level to go to where I want to go. Yeah. I don't want to just play at a low level. So then my mum actually like she knew how much I wanted it, you know, so she um she reached out to another club who was actually closer to Selvage than Cherry Archer, but not as kind of well known, uh Leaks at United. So she reached out to them and their coach was like, yeah, come out, we, we have a game against Belvedere, a friendly, a scrimmage, you know, uh, come out this time and bring your boots and your shin guards mm-hmm. and we'll give you a game and see how you do. So um, I went out to the game, it was like a Thursday night or something, it was a summer, it was a couple of weeks after the Cherry Archer thing, I was in bits, but I went out to Leakslip and uh, turned up, I didn't know anyone there on the team. I knew a lot of the a lot of the Belvedere boys because I was like as a kid whenever like the national teams were announced I would always be looking to see who was on which team yeah, who yeah. was playing so Belvedere had a couple of national team players kind of compare yourself yeah to and them. I was like oh who's this kid oh, who's this kid who's yeah. this kid uh, so so Belvedere had a lot of you know high profile players you know youth internationals on their team so I was like oh, trying to impress against you know, all these players going to be tough so um turned up and uh, the manager, his name was Tossie Barron, he was like, alright, what position do you play? I was like centre back, so he put me in centre back for the whole game and then um, done really well, like done really well, like one on me headers, like smashing people with tackles, like, I know um, you were, I was, I was a little bit different back then, I wasn't as kind of, I guess, Cultured yeah. as a defender, I was just more out and out defender. Yeah. Get the ball, clear it, win your headers, win your tackles, and you know, be really, really intense about what yeah. you do. Uh, over time, I kind of learned about the game and actually it's about you know, winning the ball and distributing it, opposed mm-hmm. to winning it and kicking it. So, anyway, I done really, really well in that game. Um, they had this big, big striker, and the ball was kind of gone out towards the sideline, he was gone for it. And like, oh, I just went over and cleaned them out. It was a good slide tackle, but cleaned them out. And then, and then his boot like smacked me in the nose. And then I went off because my nose was bleeding. And Did then, you break it? No, it was just, just, it was just bleeding. Yeah. Whatever. So like, they kind of dusted or they kind of, whatever, caught just got you back and got back on then. And then after the game, he was like, yeah, I want to sign you. Nice. But a couple of weeks later, I, was, I kind of got friendly with a couple of the boys in the team. And then they were like to me, yeah, man, Tossie, after 10 minutes, he was like, who is this kid? Really? Now we're going to sign. Like, that, so, that had to feel good. Yeah, so that was good, like, you know, a, a little bit of validation that, you know, kind of people think you're good and you're, you know, you can go somewhere potentially. Yeah. So 
leagues they, we, we were a decent team in the Premier we were probably like not the best but probably like out of 12 teams probably 4 so real quick before you move on just so I can wrap my head around it is this club that you're with now do they have like a first team and then like reserves and U18 U16 or how how is this set up so it's a schoolboy club so uh-huh. um, at certain age groups you might have two or three different teams but at our age group it's only one team Okay. And we were the U sixteen. We were the U sixteen Premier team. Okay. Or was it U fifteen? It was either U fifteen or U sixteen. But, but then they had like a U eighteen. And they have a senior men's team as well. Gotcha. But so like there is that a lot of the schoolboy clubs back home. You have like U eights, U nines, U tens, U elevens, U twelves, U thirteens, U fourteens. Every age. Group. All the way up to like the senior team, then over thirty fives and all this kind of stuff. Oh, okay. So um, so what league did the first team play in? Back then, I'm not sure. Right now, they play in the Leinster Senior League Sunday Division. So okay. out of all the amateur teams, they're in the top league. Gotcha. So um, okay. So yeah, like the senior team now is, is, in, a, is in a good place. Um, but I think we were kind of one of the first, I guess, strong league slip teams. And then a couple of years after us then... The club started to grow. The team started to really compete in the top top leagues. So, a couple of years after us, a couple of the players went across to Norwich and all that kind of stuff. Oh, nice! So, so yeah. Now, um, the first year with league slip, we done really well. We came fifth out of twelve, so that was good. Um, and then that year, so I would have been in transition year, so fourth year in school. Um, our school team got to the all Ireland final and then I was doing well in that I was playing centre back so I was in fourth year and I got up to sixth year so I was playing I guess I had two more years at that level okay. um, and we had a really really good team like some of the players in our school were fantastic like um, three or four of them went across to England after uh, to different clubs Nottingham Forest Leicester uh, two went to Nottingham Forest one went to Leicester uh, one went to Fulham so a lot, a lot of good players in our area, um, and then as a result of that, the next school year, they do like Irish trials, and I was nominated from our school to go to that. But you have to make like your province team before you can make the, I guess, national team. Mm-hmm. So I was nominated to go for Leinster tryouts. So there's four provinces: uh, Leinster, Munster, Connacht, and Ulster. Okay. So. I was nominated to go for the Leinster trials with a couple of other players from my school. Um, four or five different tryouts eventually made the team. And then you go to like the inter-provincial tournament where Leinster compete against Ulster, Munster and Connacht. Um, so on the Leinster team we had some serious players, like players that are playing on the youth international team, all that kind of stuff. So really, really good team. Um, I was just glad to make the team yeah. like to make the Leinster happy to be there and then um, first game we played we played I think we played Connacht I think I was starting second game we played Ulster I was captain I was like didn't expect it third game we played um, again Munster and um, we won the interprovincials so that was great um, I was a really good achievement I was really happy with that um, and then so the Irish scouts are at that interprovincial tournament, so they are kind of picking mm-hmm. who potentially should come to tryouts for the Irish team. So a couple of weeks later, um, 
for you know Irish trials or whatever. So that was good. Um, again, I was in fifth year now at this point, so I probably wasn't expecting to make the Irish team because yeah. I had another year left in school. I was hoping to make it in my final year. Um, so a couple of rounds of Irish trials, played a couple of scrimmages against um, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we went over to England or to um, went over to Jersey. It's like a small island in between England, England and Ireland. Played a scrimmage there. Didn't do too well in a couple of the scrimmages, but I was practicing well, and I think the coach liked me, so I knew I had a, a slight shot to make it. Um, and then the official, I guess, panel for the year comes out. Um, and then, yeah, I was in the squad and I was happy. Got the call, huh? Yes, and that was good, it was good. And then, I'm trying to remember uh, the games we, we played, because, again, so you make the team, and then it's the Centenary Shield, is, is what it's called. So you play against England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Um, and the first year I was on it, um, again, I played every game, I was centre-back. Um, and then England is always the last game because typically every year it's always Ireland and England are going for mm -hmm. the you know for the for, for the title. So we were playing England our last game in um, in Waterford, which is Ireland, um, and it was on Sky Sports. So it was going to be live oh, on nice. Sky Sports. Um, so if England had a one, they'd win the Centenary Shield. If we won, we'd win the Centenary Shield. That's just kind of a friendly competition, or is it like a qualification? To no, it's just it's just a competition okay. between the local nations. Gotcha. You know, um, and then yeah, I think we lost that game one zero. Was it one zero? We lost in England. Yeah, I think it was one zero. We lost in England. That was the end of the tournament. Then the next year, um, again, you go through the same process. But again, I was fully expecting to make the Leinster team and to make the Irish team because I was on the year before. But there's mm -hmm. no guarantees. So you got to work hard and you know prove yourself. And made the Leinster team. We won again the Interpros, uh, the Interprovincials. Got selected for the Irish team again, um, and then I got named captain for the Irish team. So that wow. was you know uh, that was a big honor. Um, At that point, that's like your highest moment, right? There. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, hundred percent. So I got nominated to be the captain, so that was great. Um, again, I I guess I'd always been a captain at, at, at the clubs I've been at. You know, I wasn't. Um, I guess really really vocal in the dressing room. It was mm. more kind of I was real vocal on the field mm. in terms of organising people yeah, and yeah. telling kind of just like you are now. You know where you want to go or whatever. But uh, <laughs> um, then for the Irish team, then in the sixth year. Again, it came down to the England game, so we won all the other games, came down to the England game, but this time it was in England, again it was on Sky Sports, um, it was in Burton Albion Stadium, I think it holds like 7,000, and there was a lot of fans, I had all my parents, aunties, uncles, or whatever, over to watch it, and um, we beat England 1-0, with a goal I think in the, like 12 minutes to go, or 13 minutes to go, it was like a long throw from them into our box. I headed it clear, we switched the play, one of our players went in the dribble, cut it back, and one of our best players, Robbie Benson, slotted it in bottom corner. Uh, it was really, really good. And then um, what was interesting was after that game, both teams were staying in the same hotel. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
and then the hotel had the game replaying played on, yeah. the, on the TV and all of us Irish players were there with our families yeah. and everyone was drinking and having a good time and at that time I didn't drink you know I was like no I want to be a pro I want yeah, to drop yeah. my body I don't want to drink and my mum and dad were like here do you want to drink you can drink yeah. you know, you're 18 or whatever I was like no no I'm good I'm good but it was a great night great time um, and what was interesting about that the centre back on the England team um, he had committed to the same university that I had committed to okay. in the States uh, so we'd never talked before that but then after we were like here you're going there I'm going there alright we'll see you in a couple of yeah. months so that was interesting but now like playing for your country was you know unbelievable unbelievable experience unbelievable honour even just standing there hearing the national anthem play like you know it's you know it's hard to be I mean that's a feeling that literally cannot be surpassed you know what I mean like no. especially the way you guys won in your last year too like yeah no to play for the country to captain my country and then to win the centenary shield yeah. you know I guess in enemy territory you know in England you know it was unbelievable you know it's, it's definitely one of my best soccer moments so already I hear a lot of like, not so many downs really yet, but there are a few downs, but a lot of highs. Like, did you feel at that point that that was like your peak, like your summit, or did you have more to accomplish? Um, yeah, no, it was, um, it was definitely, you know, a high point in my career, but I'd always had the, I guess, ambition or goal to play in England. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Again, after my first year with League Slip, I was looking to push on. You know, I, I had the taste of the Premier Football, I had the taste of playing for League Slip. Now I want to get to one of the more like elite clubs. Yeah. You know, and especially after having the Irish experience as well, I was like, here, I need to push on now. Um, and then my coach, I guess he tried to. Well, he he convinced me to stay with League Slip. He was like, here, listen, there's scouts coming out to watch you from Hull and Stoke, and we're gonna send you over. And I was like. Oh, great great yeah uh, now i don't know if that was spoof or not because nothing never materialized you know i don't know if, if there actually was scouts looking at me because i had no contact with them or it it never kind of happened did you have the feeling that he, like no I, I was just, it, like, to be fair because he he had played for stoke when he was yeah. younger so i um i i definitely believed him so yeah. instead of trying out for a different team or going to one of the stronger teams uh, i stayed with lisa for another year and then Again, every game I'd play in the DDSL, I'd always be thinking, oh, there's a scout here watching me, so I need to be on my mm -hmm. best game. Uh, some games, maybe I put too much pressure on myself and didn't quite perform, um, and then other games, I thought it was fantastic. And you just hope, when you're playing at that level and playing really, really good, you hope someone's there to watch you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nothing really happened. Um, that's the way you have to play all the time. Yeah. That's what a lot of young people need to understand, is like, you need to always be playing like someone's watching that's why I try to tell the kids you yeah. never know who's watching it whether yeah. it's a parent a potential college coach whoever you want to you be, never know like if they know somebody who knows somebody you know it's just you just gotta always present the best version of yourself yeah so were you was that like the first team for league slip or um, no it was still it was like so you 17s okay so it was you 17s so um or U16, I'm not sure. So U16, U17, or U15, U16. So it was two years at least. So then with the whole Irish thing as well, um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do after school. Was I going to go to university in Ireland? Uh, 
was I going to go to the States? Because once you're on the Irish team, a lot of American coaches are coming over and trying to get you to sign for their colleges. Um, or did I have the option to go to England or Scotland? So in my last What year, was like one, two, three for you in terms of like priority? Oh, for me, I wanted to go to England. Yeah. You know, I wanted to test myself against the best players. I thought I was good enough. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like no, I never got the opportunity. I yeah. was either injured at the wrong time. Um, so I always wanted to go to England and test myself. Um, but that last year in school, um, I had lots of interest in, from American colleges. Like mm-hmm. crazy crazy interesting did they have like recruiting services that so were? there was and then I did sign up with a recruiting service back home to I guess um, I guess amplify the interest mm-hmm. you know because there was interest with the Irish team but I wanted to go about the right way and to, and to make sure I was doing it kind of correctly yeah. so I did sign up with this company called Passport Soccer Okay. Um, and yeah. then they have showcases and bring loads of American coaches over and then when they see your um I guess your CV or your experience and they see you play then you know the offers will just start coming yeah. so um, I went to one of the showcases loads of coaches came over and we played two games played two games and then after the games then they have like all the coaches sitting down at different tables and uh, the recruiter I guess or the, or the person for passport soccer he'll tell you right you know, this coach wants to talk to you, this coach wants to talk to you, this coach wants to talk so to you. So you just go make your rounds. Yeah, so I was talking to loads of coaches. and I, I guess some coaches may be interested, some coaches are just talking to talk to you. Yeah. Um, so I went through that whole process and got a lot of offers from, you know, several different colleges at different levels. A lot of D1 offers, a couple of D2 offers, because my grades were quite good, so I was looking at, you know, D1 or D2. Um, so lots of offers and then it came down to a couple of different colleges um, I had agreed but there was one college just say so circle back there um, I was really interested going to one college uh, Loyola University okay um, in Chicago right Chicago yeah, yeah. and he their head coach um, talked to me quite a bit and he'd come over then to see me play for Ireland against Australia and by this time now, I was playing for UCD, for the U20s, okay. UCD. Um, and what was what I didn't know at the time was my manager at UCD, like the senior manager, he played for my United when, when he was a kid. Oh, really? But the head coach for Loyola played for my United as well. Uh-huh. So they knew each other. Okay. So I was playing against Australia. Uh, my current coach was watching the game potential American coach out there watching the game, like, oh, like, why are you here? Yeah. And your mom was like, oh, I'm here to watch the Moss. And then my coach was like, oh, he plays for me. Yeah. And he didn't know I was interested in going to America. So it was just a random connection. Yeah, so he didn't know I was interested in going to America. So like the next day he rings me, he goes, hey, can, can you come in for a meeting? Can we talk about, you know, future plans? And he was like, oh, so you want to go to America? Do you? I was like, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's an option. You know, I love what I'm doing here in UCD and, you know, that's a great option for me too. But, you know, America, you know, is an option too. And he tried to keep me in, in, you know, in Ireland. He's a really good coach, Martin Russell, like fantastic coach. Played at a really high level for Martin Leicester and Middlesbrough. Really, really good coach. But I 
guess the opportunity for America was too big for me. Mm. So Loyola didn't really work out. Uh, they went with a different defender, um, which was unfortunate. Um, and then I came down to two colleges then, UMBC in Maryland, and then okay. U- University of Hartford in okay. Connecticut. Now, I, I'd actually agreed like verbally to uh, go to UMBC, but as soon as I agreed to go, I was like, that doesn't feel right, you know? So I had to... Um, and it wasn't anything specific, you just had a gut feeling. It was just like, I didn't feel like they really wanted me, or I was going to be like a key, key player, yeah. and they were talking about playing me out of position as like a fullback and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, I could do that, but again, like I'm a centre-back, right. you know? And I don't mind playing a different role for the team, but I wanted to be like, you know, you know, they recruited me to be the centre-back right. their program. And so, again, I talked to their coach back and forth, you know, as much as we could, because there was NCAA guidelines on how often you could speak to people. Um, and then I'd agreed, and then I, I just felt that wasn't right. And then University of Hartford were really, really keen on me to come in, and their head coach had massive experience. Um, his name was Dan Gasper. I um, heard of him. He worked, so it was 2010 when all this was kind of, it, it, it would have been 2010 when I would have went to college in America. So it was about 2009, when, or like the Christmas months of 2009, early months of 2010, when I was really trying to figure out where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the World Cup was coming up that year, and Dan okay. Gaspar was the goalkeeper coach for Portugal. Okay, so that's that's right, yeah. So because then and he worked for Iran as well. Or yeah, Iran, Iran that's how I know yeah. him. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was he was really close with Carlos, Carlos first. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was like, here, like, this coach is working with World Cup players. He's got such a such like so much experience. Like he can definitely help me. Although he's a goalkeeper coach, he'd be the head coach at Hartford. But he's working with all these players day to day. He's been to World Cups. I was like, I can't turn that down. I need to go there and see what I can learn from him. So, again, I told UMBC because it didn't feel right. Yeah. And then committed to Hartford, signed a letter of intent. And then, uh, come August time then, I was going out to Hartford. But what was interesting was UMBC and Hartford were in the same division. And you didn't know that at the time? I didn't. I think... It's not something you really thought about. No, I didn't really think yeah. about it. But, uh, yeah, so they're in the same division, the American East division. So that was interesting when we played each other. Um, yeah. I didn't even know you played here uh, for uh, an American school. I, I thought you just, um, you had... So let's rewind a second, because I want to hear more about your time at... at uh, what was the name of the, the team that you played for again? UCD. UCD, that's right. Because we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I think it's just a really interesting thing that listeners need to hear, like just kind of how their setup is and how it kind of takes a blend of like the typical you know European model of developing professional players and then combines it with what a lot of Europeans come to do is to get an education and continue playing on a high level here in America. So... Just, I guess, rewind a little bit. Let's go back to, like, your transition from um, playing at uh, in, in the Irish team then making the transition to UCD. Yeah, so, again, um, after that last year with Leeds, like, we spent a lot of players 
and schoolboy teams decide to go to League of Ireland teams, the U20 League of Ireland teams. So I had a lot of League of Ireland teams interested in me. Um, and then I, I guess the reason I chose UCD to sign for them after schoolboy was because they offered, you know, the education pathway. Mm-hmm. And my parents were really, really big on education, you know, so... Um, and I knew that if I was good enough, there was a potential route to playing the first team quicker than, say, you know, other teams. Right. Even though other teams had told me, you're going to train for the first team, which may have been true, but it's hard but to But even say. though it's a, a university, it's still considered a professional team. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, it's in the professional league, and some players are professional, some yeah. players are on amateur terms, so it's kind of a mixed bag, but again, I, I guess you could say it's a professional team yeah. because it's in the professional league, but it's the only, it's the only team in that league that um, is a university team, so we also, if you're in college for UCD, um, you'll play in the college team as well. Now, the college team will play in certain college kind of cups oh. like the Collingwood Cup where all universities in Ireland play okay. and that's only in um, January of every year and then you'll play in the colleges universities league which all colleges and universities play in that's only for a small portion of the season as well um, but you have to be in college to play for UCD in them leagues or okay. them tournaments now to play for the universe or to play for the League of Ireland team, um, it's preferred that you're in college, um, or you're just recently out of UCD, um, but you don't have to be, um, in UCD to play for the you know League of okay. Ireland team. So you're saying you had some guys on your team that didn't actually go to school there? No, we probably when I first signed in twenty two thousand nine, I guess, and um, I was in the U twenty team initially. On the first team that year, there was probably maybe like 60% were students and oh, okay. 40% weren't. And gotcha. over time, you know, that number increased, you know, to have kind of more full-time students playing for the League of Ireland team. I think now they're trying to go, now this year, I think, I still keep in kind of contact with people, I think this year they're trying to go, everyone in UCD playing on the League of Ireland team has to be in college. Okay. Um, so if you're not in college or if you just finish your degree, you have to move on to a different team. Okay. So trying to go with a fully kind of college team. That's an interesting model. I think that it's something that a lot of other, like, I mean, maybe not clubs specifically, but universities could adopt, you know what I mean? Just to offer, like, not only a higher level of competition, but then still offer the education that everyone needs. Like, you know, the percentage of actually going pro and, like, you know, being able to live off of that is not that high so you need a plan B you need a backup option and I think that's obviously why a lot of you know European players or you know from anywhere South American come over to America to get their education while still being able to play at a high level but then they find that here there's kind of a a roadblock you know once you graduate from school what do you do you can't really there's no path really whereas you know in your situation there was that path to actually play professionally yeah no like yesterday is great like as I was saying earlier, uh, before then, this kind of podcast, um, you know, a lot of players will want to start their careers at UCD because they play the right way. There is that pathway to the first team if you're good enough. Uh, you will get opportunities sooner than other teams. 
and you have the education as well. So you could be at UCD for three years, from say 19 to 22, 21, mm -hmm. you'll get your degree, you could play 100 games in the first team, and then you're now in a really good position to you know, move on to you know, a higher level team. Um, and a lot of players in Ireland have done that, you know, have started with UCD, have got their degree, have gone to play in England, to play for the senior national team, uh, to play for really good teams in Ireland. So it is a really good pathway and if I was offering any young kid coming through Ireland, you know, where should they go in terms of their football career? That would I'd be say, it. you know, go through UCD because yeah. you're going to get opportunities to play at a really high level, you're going to get your education, facilities there top notch, you know, we've so many fields there, you've got the gym, you've got the high performance centre, you've got a pool, so it's like a professional, like we've all the facilities of, of a professional club, mm -hmm. um, it's just we're a university team, yeah. you know, um, and you're on campus as well, so it's like it all works out. Yeah, so at this point, it's 2015, you're 23, 24 years old, and you guys actually make a pretty nice run in your uh, European competition. Tell us yeah, more about yeah, that. Yeah, so um, what was interesting about that was, um, so the year before the European journey, I guess, um, I was struggling with injury. Again, injury is a big kind of part of my story. Struggling with injury that year, the club were struggling, we're in the top league in Ireland at the Premier Division. I didn't play a lot of games that year because I was in and out of the team through injury. We ended up getting relegated. Um, ended up getting relegated to the First Division. And then that off-season, again, I was struggling with injuries, my hamstring, my lower back. Um, you know, I was just not right. And I was thinking, here, I'm not going to play this year. And then I eventually... So I didn't do any pre-season. So pre-season starts in January, didn't do any pre-season. And then the season starts in March. Starts in March, yes. Uh, the beginning of March. And I um, I eventually got myself right at the end of February. And I hadn't, I hadn't been in contact with Web the club at all. And then I texted the coach, I was like, here, listen, I'm feeling good now. Is there still an opportunity for me to play for the club? Um, because I'd finished my degree at that point. And uh, the coach was like, yeah, come out to, come out to practice and, and we'll see where you're at and then we can see what we can offer you in terms of money or whatever. Um, so I practiced a couple of times and uh, they were like, yeah, we want to have you part of the squad. I was like, great, because I'd always played for UCD and they knew me and all that kind of stuff. I was just unsure, to prove that you I was just unsure if I was going to be able to play because yeah. of my body in terms of injuries. And then it worked out that um, it worked out that I was able to able to play to a certain level, and then it was going to be like a pay for play. So if you play, you get paid. If okay. not, you don't get paid. And I was like, fair enough. And then come the summertime, they said, if you're playing to a really good level, we can readjust or uh, we can readdress the money situation. Oh, that's fine. I just want to play. Yeah. I don't care about the money. Um, so anyway, a couple of weeks into the season. We get word that we're potentially gonna play in the Europa League through a kind of loophole or okay. a weird situation. So usually you qualify for the Europa League for coming like top of the league or top four. 
the Premier League. Of the Premier League. And at this point, you were in the second In, in the first league. division. So yeah. we've got that. So you play in the Europa League because of your previous season. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So, so if you finish the previous season in the top four, you'd be in the Europa League the next year. We got relegated the previous season. But the reason we got in is because Ireland got an extra Europa League spot based on fair play. Okay. So how many yellow cards you get or red cards you get. Now, we finished third in fair play out of all the Irish teams, but the two teams that finished first and second had already qualified for the Europa League uh-huh. in terms of league position. So we were next best. Really? So, so we got into the... Into there must the, have been teams in the Premier League. Like, yeah, no, so we got into the Europa here? League through kind of the fair play yeah. uh, kind of system, which, again, was great from our point yeah, of view yeah. I'm sure as you said other teams would be pissed off or whatever but for us that was fantastic but because the club found out so late they had very little time to figure out how to get the club up to scratch up to the certain standards that yeah. the UEFA kind of requires so we had to change our kit we had to um, you know figure out you know a, a, a logistics in terms of where we potentially play mm-hmm. Um so then we figured out who we were going to play. We are going to play a team from Dudeland or from Luxembourg, um, Dudeland. And then if we'd, if we'd advanced in that game, we would play a team from Slovakia. So again, going into the Dudeland game, nobody gave us a hope. You know, there was like newspaper articles, UCD are going to get schooled, all this kind of college kind of, they're going to yeah. get schooled, they're going to get taught a lesson. Yeah. You know, it's going to be embarrassing for the league. So our manager, um, he had took, he had taken all these newspaper articles and stuff them up on the wall yeah. in the dressing room. I love it. And he used that as our motivation. So before, he didn't really, really have to talk to us before the game. He was like, "Listen, this is what everyone else thinks yeah. it's gonna happen. You kind of go out there and show them that, you know, you can compete with the best." So um, the first leg was in our our place. Um, again, like they may have come over and thinking. You know, we're going to come up and just romp over these kind of college players. It's going to be easy for us. Mm-hmm. So, first game was there. Big, big crowd in the UCD Bowl. Um, lovely summer's day. Um, we were playing really, really good football. Passing the ball well. Uh, moving the ball well. Really, really on top of things. Um, we got a goal in the first half. Through Ryan Swan. Through ball. Took a pass keeper. Knocked it in, half time we're all buzzing. Um, second half more the same. We're on top, you know, we're defending well. Then we hit the crossbar, so that would have been a nice little cushion if we yeah. had got the second goal. And then for the last ten or so minutes we're defending, yeah. you know, kind of trying to keep a clean sheet. And then we do keep the clean sheet, and we end the game one nil. What was interesting about that was a lot of friends or families had backed us to win. Yeah. So I think we were like eight to one, you know, to win. Oh, so they put money on it. Put money on us to win. And, uh, so and the guy who scored, uh, Ryan Swan, his brother, um, his, his, his brother like put a bet on, uh-huh. you know, so he put a bet on, you know, UCD to win and Ryan Swan to score. Oh yeah. So he, he, he cashed good, out on he, that. He won a good bit of money there. So we win that game one nil. Uh, Which that one nil is important because you didn't give up the away goal. Yeah, clean sheets important, wins important. Again, surprised everyone, shocked everyone. We're buzzing, coaching staff is buzzing. So then uh, we fly to do, we fly 
fly to Luxembourg the next week to play the away leg. Um, again, probably not always giving us a chance, you know, to beat through the lunch. Um, and then we go over there, we start the game, we score, through Ryan Swan again. Um, but then maybe five minutes after that, uh, our left back gets sent off. True, uh, for a straight red. Now I didn't think it was a red card, but again I think in the European games the refs are a lot stricter. Yeah. If that was a tackle in our league, it'd probably be yellow, but in the Europa League it was a red. So we had to make a couple of adjustments to try to figure things out. Um, as soon as we got the red card, the Dudland scored to equalise. Right and away. they scored again before half time to make it two one. So two one to them at half time. So a half time. Tied 2 2 on aggregate, two, but two you got the advantage on away goal. We had the advantage on away goal, so we were just in a half time, we were wrecked because it was so hot. Yeah. We were chasing shadows, we were defending for our lives. Second half, like I don't think I don't think we crossed the halfway line like more than twice. It was park the bus job, defend for our lives, yeah. body on the line, you know, big clearances, try to slow the game down as much as possible. Uh, and hope for a little bit of luck, you know. Um, it was wave after wave after wave of attack, and then um, you know, hearing that final whistle at the end it was just unbelievable, Elation. unbelievable <laughs> feeling. Like nobody giving us a hope in hell, and you know, especially with the red card. Then to see the game out was fantastic. Yeah. Um, unbelievable scenes in the dressing room after. Um, you know, the flight home, and then we all went to a nightclub in our tracksuits after. <laughs> it, was, it was a good night, you know? it was a good night, and then it was great for the club as well, because if you advance in Europa, if you advance from round one to round two, the club gets a lot of cash, yeah. so it's good for the club to get that cash windfall. Just to play against, you know, high caliber players, and then, you know, frustrate them, and, you know, see us compete against them was just, it was really, really good, and, uh, you know, uh, my parents had come over to the game in Luxembourg, a lot of other families' parents had been there, so to celebrate with them was, yeah. was amazing. You know? What was a bigger moment for you, the championship with the Irish team when you were under 17, right? Yeah. Or that moment, winning the first uh, round of the U- U- Europa League? I mean, I mean, both were great. I mean, as a personal achievement, like, it's, it's going to be hard to, you know, top kind of captain your country yeah. winning that kind of title but again as a team achievement and kind of to win against the odds again like the Luxembourg and the European journey as itself was just unforgettable yeah you know we still talk about it now like with some of the friends who will who be on that team and tell stories of what happened and you know it's it's something I'll never forget yeah. and it's something I wish I could experience more you know of in, in my playing career for but, sure uh, It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. Okay, so you guys win your first uh, round against the team from Luxembourg. How long was it then that you had to wait for the second round? So, 
So we knew going into that Luxembourg kind of tie that whichever team won, either us or Luxembourg, were going to face Slovan and Bratislava. Because <coughs> they were playing against... Oh, so they had a bye. No, nah, well, it was pretty much like a gimme. Gotcha. Uh, they were playing against some low-level team, I think College Europa, I think from Georgia or somewhere. I'm not sure where they were from. But like they were always going to win. So mm-hmm. whichever team had won between us and Dudeland was going to face Slovan and Bratislava. So... Um, the club then, once we'd beaten Dudeland, the club had to figure out how to get to Slovakia and they had to try, you know, get in touch with an airline to figure out a charter flight and there was no charter flight available. And then a couple of days later, a charter flight became available because Dudeland had thought that they were going to beat us and they'd already oh. booked the charter flight. And then once they lost, they had to put that charter flight <laughs> in the market. So we actually took the Udlanders playing yeah. to Slovakia. So that was that was quite funny. That must um, have been a sweet feeling. Yeah, no, it was good. Like, again, as I said, no one gave us a hope. Yeah, you know, they yeah. went into that game thinking they were going to win. Easy, you know, no competition. Um, and then we proved everyone wrong. Uh, so it was nice when, like, you know, everyone you can do that. So Slovakia, the first game was away in Slovakia. Um, we flew out a day before the game, practiced in the stadium the day before, and then we had the morning of the game just to kind of get our heads right, figure out your bodies, injuries, you know, get rubbed down, get strappings, whatever, and kind of get mentally right for the game. So again, like Slovakia, or uh, Slovan Bratislava, like they're like the top Slovakian team, uh, real, real big history, massive stadium, um, you know, even even where the dressing rooms are to where the field is, you gotta walk like underneath like a tunnel for maybe like half I wouldn't say half a mile but like a good five hundred yards. Yeah. So it is it is quite intimidating. Um and you can feel like kind of the crowd above you. Yeah, there was a big crowd there and then um you know it was really, really hot as well, real sweaty conditions. Mm-hmm. Um some of their players had played in World Cups and you know Robert Vitek their striker in 2010 was the second top scorer in the World Cup and their keeper had played for Everton uh, the previous season uh, another striker had played in the Premier League all these other players as well fantastic players and we were just you know kind of happy to be there and test ourselves against you know high quality players mm. you know some of us players at UCD had like played with these players on like championship manager or FIFA or whatever. Oh, yeah. So it was good to, you know, kind of see what they were like Bring in person. And, yeah, uh, see how we would do against them. And we always had great belief in ourselves, you know, in terms of how we play, you know, as a team, as a club of UCD, like uh, we have an identity about ourselves where we don't like to play long. Mm-hmm. It's all about playing the right way, passing the move, and, you know, getting into spaces to receive little combinations. Can we trust their own ability to, you know, suck the opposition out and then play where they are? And this is kind of the time where you started to develop into more like a ball playing. Yeah, I'd say once I went to UCD, uh, I'd say once I started working under Martin Russell, he was, he didn't like players who kicked the ball. Yeah. You kick the ball, you're on the bench. Yeah. And so he was really, so it was he never really improved me as a player in terms of, right, yes, you're a defender, but now you've got to recognize when you win it, don't just kick it out of play. Can you play back to the keeper? Can you get wide again to yeah. receive it? Can you get on the ball? Can you step into midfield and make a split pass? Yeah. You know, can you kind of be the first line of attack? Right. You know, and can your distribution be a lot better as a defender in terms of just being a defender with heads and kicks up? Yeah. Up? 
can you uh, can you start to become comfortable on the ball? So it was never like defenders to be. So, but you never felt like it was um, like you not having the technical ability to play that way. But it was more of him kind of changing your mentality and um, you know just helping you to make better decisions. Yeah, I was never kind of tough because even all the years for Bally Ulster, you know, it was always like my dad coaching me or a parent coaching yeah. me. And like, I guess they didn't have the background or the knowledge or the qualifications to really kind of teach the players the kind of tactical side of the game or the technical side and kind of how to be a better player and what people are looking for, you know. And, you know, under Martin Russell... I really developed a lot as a player yeah. um, in terms of my game knowledge, you know, my soccer IQ, you know, my decision making, um, you know, when to kick along, when to play, when to take risks. Um, so he definitely kind of opened my eyes in terms of what a defender needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I was just always thinking, well, a defender just has to do their job and clear it and get the ball as far away from goal yeah. as possible, where there's a lot more to that. And now me as a coach as well. I want all my players to be comfortable on the ball, you know, whether it's the goalkeeper or whether it's the, you know, right back, left back, yeah. centre backs, I want everyone to be comfortable, you know, receiving the ball. Um, so I take a lot of what he taught me into my coaching. Yeah. But that's also around the time where the modern game, as we know it, started to shift. Like you know, that was around what two thousand eight, you'd say. So it was, it was when it was when it was when like Spain started had their dominance. Yeah. You know, they won the Euros, the World Cup, the Euros during so, those golden years. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, up to that point, like everyone kind of looked at you know the center back role the same way. You yeah. Know? yeah. So it was only like it was only um, them coming up and and setting an example for the rest of the world, where other coaches started to be inspired by that. And wanted to build off of that. So um, at that point then, like, this was in your second year at UCD. You guys were participating now in the Europa League. Yeah, so I've been with UCD. So signed for them in 2009. And then was there for like a season and a half. And then went to the States. States didn't really work out. Mm -hmm. Came home after a semester. Came home just for Christmas. And then... And I wasn't really happy with how things had panned out in the fall. Was thinking about and talking to people to transfer to different schools that would kind of, I guess, um, be kind of where I'd want to be as a player. Um, and then Christmas time came home. My mum kind of wanted me to stay, so she put me in contact with St. Pat's and UCD. So my heart was still the coach at UCD, so I went out to a practice to UCD and ended up staying yeah. and signing for UCD then again. So I've been at UCD probably since 2009 up to 2016. So the European journey was 2015. So, okay, that was, um, that's quite a, a long time. No, I did college then at UCD then, yeah. so I did college then 2011 to 2014. Okay. did sports science in college. In 2015 and 16, you were just playing. Yeah, just playing, yeah. working in the college in terms of being a college coach, helping out with camps um, and that kind of thing. Were you already working on your licenses at that point? Because you have a UEFA B, right? Yeah, UEFA B. So I first, my mom again actually pushed me to do the coach yeah. as well. Like when I came home from the States in 2011 or 20, uh, the end of 2010, 
she was like, here, you have to get started on this because she, she knew how passionate I was about the game. Yeah. And she was like, listen, it, it, it could be a good avenue to get money and just even just to, uh, to see what you think. So she started me on my coaching journey, I guess. Um, so I did like the low level badges, the Kickstart 1, Kickstart 2. Then did my youth cert in 2015, 2014, which is like the C license now. Mm-hmm. And then in 2016, I did my B license. So that would have been after the European journey, I did the B license. Um, did you get any waivers into like a certain level or did you have to No, you have to do the steps, you know, you have to do the steps. Yeah, yeah you have to apply. But uh, again, not everyone who applies to the B license will get on it. Right. So I guess, you know, me playing in the league, um, I guess helped me get on right. it. But you need to have good references as well. And I was working at the... At um, you know, UCD as well, coaching the kind of freshers team and the college team as well. Um, so I, I was kind of new to coaching, but, you know, I had good experience as well at the same time. Yeah. And then I had good people, you know, behind me who could point me in the right direction in terms of, you know, kind of getting on these coaching courses. And then when I did get on the coaching course, you know, the tutors were fantastic and I thought I was a decent coach, you know, kind of going into the B license. You don't know what you don't know. Didn't you know? didn't know anything. Yeah, I, mean, I was not out me deaf, but like it was, I had a lot of work. To, yeah, I had a lot of work to do, and you know, it's good that way as well. You know, kind of makes you work harder. Kind of, you know, you reevaluate things, and you're like, well, right, I thought I was here, and now I'm not actually at that level, so now I got to work hard to get mm-hmm. to where I want to be. And then you see really, really good coaches on the course as well. You're like, wow, I can speak to him, mm-hmm. talk to him, figure out his journey, how he plans sessions, how he thinks about the game, and you can just open your, you know, open your eyes to, you know, kind of different things. Yeah. It's great. So you were talking about kind of like the identity you guys had at UCB and, and how you've applied that to your coaching now. When you came into that second round game, you, you mentioned earlier that you guys were actually kind of putting it on them at first, and it was looking good for you. What, what happened with that? Yeah, so... Again, um, a, uh, a TV broadcaster from Ireland was able to get the game on TV. So people who couldn't come over to watch the game were able to watch it live uh, on TV. A lot of families did come over from, like, like, like my family, their other families were there. But yeah. People around the league were able to watch the game. So that was great. Um, but in terms of how we played, we were fantastic that game. Fantastic. Uh, we moved the ball well. You know, the field was great, you know, we, uh, we're winning the ball back, we're in their faces, we're making it difficult for them, we're creating chances, we're defending well, and we just weren't scared, you know, it was our moment, and kind of we believed in ourselves, um, and then, as I was saying, they got players sent off uh, in the first half for a terrible challenge, terrible challenge, and that kind of gave us the impetus to really push on, and really start to not that we weren't playing expansive, but to really go after them mm-hmm. and to try to get a goal. Um, and we did create a couple of chances and we probably should have got a penalty, but the ref waved it off. Um, and then, with about 10 minutes to go, second half they were attacking a lot more. And then with about 10 minutes to go, um, they got a goal. And it wasn't the best goal from our point of view, like kind of looking back and it, we probably could have done a better job, yeah. you know, in terms of snuffing them out and kind of dealing with the danger. But, they got a goal with 10 minutes to go and they were 
relieved because again they would have thought kind of going to that game this would be easy yeah. it would be 3, 4, 5 nil. it wasn't it was really tough for them um, so we ended zero, we ended losing 1-0 after the game everyone was not raging but disappointed because yeah. we pushed them so close and it was right there and to not come away with a tie we, I mean we felt like uh, we at least deserved a draw you know what I mean so uh, to lose the game was tough then we came back came back to Ireland and played a league game so that game would have been Thursday played a league game on the Sunday uh, and then we had the return leg on the on the Thursday I think so a week later and um, we weren't as good in the second leg as we were in the first leg we were still decent just weren't as good uh, again as, as I was saying to you I was I was like being taped together you know to be able to play and um, you know before the first game I had to get an injection to play and I was able to get through that first game quite good you know, with painkillers, uh, painkillers uh, with the injection, uh, with you know my knee being strapped and taped. Then for the second game, um, we we were doing good so up till about forty minutes, and then we conceded, and then with them scoring, it kind of made the tie really difficult for us. And then, um, you know, we pushed on second half and tried to go at them to get a goal to give us a chance. And we, had a couple, try. we had a couple of chances, but then it left us really exposed at the back. Yeah. And as I was saying, something happened in that game to make my knee even worse. You know, and then I could barely, I could barely move. Uh, so I was probably, you know, a liability to the team on the field. But I was like, no, I need to finish this game. Yeah. Now. I need to play, and I was hobbling around. And, I'm sure for my parents watching, they were like, here, just take him off. Yeah. <laughs> do what he needs to do, you know. But I finished the game now, but we ended up losing 6-0 anyway, but they scored the last couple of games, or the, the last couple of goals in the last 15 minutes. So it wasn't a true reflection of how yeah. the tie went or how the game went, but again, when you play against a really, really high-level team, when they create a chance, it's a goal. Yeah. You know, they, they punish you. You cannot um, make mistakes against them. can't make mistakes, and then when you create opportunity, you need to score. Yeah. You know, and... Um, but it was good to test ourselves against, you know, a high caliber player, high level opponent, and I think we did, you know, um, I think we did perform well, and I think we kind of over, over exceeded people's expectations, and I think people had a lot of respect for um for UCD as a club, for our coach, you know, for uh, the players. It put a lot of our players in the shop window. You know, so a lot of clubs in England were interested in mm. our players. A lot of the higher level teams in Ireland were interested in our players, and it really kind of, I guess, boosted our player profile. Yeah. So that was great as well, on a personal level. You know, coaches will be talking about you. You've, even in the local papers throughout that European journey, you know, you'd be mentioned in team of the week and all this kind of stuff, and that was great. You know, so on a personal note, for a lot of our players, it was fantastic. Yeah. So then at that point, that's whenever you made the transition over to Hartford? No, so I had gone to Hartford. Um, I had gone to Hartford uh, in 2010. Oh, my timeline is all off. So I, had, I, I hadn't played a first team game for UCD before uh -huh. I went to Hartford. So I'd only played for the U20s. Gotcha. Uh, and then... Then you left and came back. Then I left and came back. Okay, so talk about your experience there a little bit more. Hartford was fantastic, you know, um, you know, nothing really bad to say about Hartford. Um, 
again I went over in August and I ended up coming home in Christmas just to come home for Christmas mm-hmm. uh, again for me just I I see myself as a winner and a competitor um, and I felt at Hartford yeah we had a lot of really good players uh, but we had some maybe not so good players yeah. as well so it's not at the level you were expecting yeah I was I was hoping for a little bit more yeah. you know um, and maybe I was I don't know what, what the word is but I wasn't expecting more from like the team I was just frustrated because you know we were losing games we shouldn't be losing mm-hmm. and some of the players I felt didn't really care as much as I cared yeah. and, and I just wanted to win and to like you know be pushing on in the in the American East in the playoffs we didn't make the playoffs first year and I was like oh this is not for me yeah. like, I need to be you know I come over here to make something of myself I didn't come over here just for the experience I come over here to you know play at a high level and you know hopefully go to the MLS or yeah. whatever you know um, sounds so, like just the standards were different like like you know Hartford is a good school academically yeah, so yeah, yeah sure no, it, was, the, it was a good school you know like some of our like I mean some of the players we had on our team were fantastic don't yeah. get me wrong but, but probably a lot of them their priorities were more on the academic side yeah like we had a big roster like our starting 11 would be strong and then um, after that you know it wasn't as strong I was used to playing with like really high level yeah. players back home and um, yeah it was good but I just became frustrated with little things and I wanted to win and we didn't win as much the first year and so when I came home at Christmas I was like here I need to transfer to a different school and mm. um, maybe I was just I was too impatient, you know. Maybe I should have kind of stuck it out and kind of seen what kind of materialized and happened, you know, the next year. But I well, guess I just want—I just want the success now. Yeah, I well, wait. And, and you know, with players, like there's only a small window where you can really like yeah. maximize your opportunities. So you got to do what's best for yeah. you. But the thing about Harper was great was again like you practiced every single day, and then like your skill schedule was built around your soccer schedule. Yeah. So you might have practice might be 10 o'clock to 12.30 every day and then you you might have a class from 8 to 9 and 9 to 10 mm-hmm. and then you soccer and then you're free for the day yeah. so again that was really good about it and again I was lucky I was I was lucky enough to get a full ride so again everything was kind of paid for you know accommodation, books uh, meal plan, you know everything was paid for so I was lucky in that sense and again the school I went to you know Again, school over here is crazy yeah. you know, in terms of how expensive it is compared to back home. So True. I was I was very very lucky. I was fortunate, you know, to be you know offered a full ride and then came over here. And I probably should have, you know, looking back, I probably should have, you know, given it more time to play out. But I just wanted, you know, to play at the highest level possible, you know, as soon as possible. Yeah. And some of my friends back home. Or moving on to England, I was like, oh, maybe if I go back home, I can get across to England. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I knew I could always do the college stuff back home as well. So again, came home at Christmas and um, was talking to again the guy from Pass for Soccer to try figure out if there was a possibility for me to transfer. And he'd mentioned a couple of different colleges that may be interested. And then I was talking to two clubs back home in Ireland, and then I decided. To, to stay, to stay. Yeah. and um, yeah initially it was great decided to stay 
um, went straight into the first team. Season started a couple of weeks after that. I was playing games. Then in that summer, in that summer we, um, in that summer we had uh, a lot of friendlies against you know English opponents, Scottish opponents. Played against the Spanish team as well. So we were playing against really, really good players in friendlies as well as 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 league play. So. At the start, I was really excited about it, and then over time, just got injured and injured and injury yeah. after injury. And again, a big part of my UCD career is just injury. Yeah. You know, I only played, I think, in like six or seven seasons. I only played like close to a hundred games. Really? Now, if I wasn't injured over them seven seasons, I could have been up like you know two hundred games. Yeah. So I missed a big portion through injury, which is you know frustrating. But again, it's part of the game. Yeah. Part of the game. So. It is. So, um, then what was your next move after your Europa League run with UCD in, in, your, in, in 2016? Um, so, again, once the, 20, once the Europa League run ended, we kind of had to get kind of focused back onto the league campaign because we were going for promotion. Um, I, think we, I think we were like 21 games unbeaten. So we're in a good position to get promoted and then kind of towards the end of the season when it really, really counted, I guess the pressure got to us and kind of we, um, I guess we missed an opportunity to, to kind of win the league mm-hmm. um, and then we got into the playoffs and then we lost the playoffs and then so we, we ended up staying in, in the first division. But the end of that season a lot of our players got you know kind of personal um, personal accolades in terms of you know team of the year yeah. so at the end of the, the end of the season every player in the league and all the coaches they vote for you know team of the year so I think at the end of that season we had like five players in team of the year so that was uh, that, that was a good achievement uh, for you know a lot of yeah. our players um, and then one or two of our players moved on that um that off season, again, I was looking to move on as well. And um, that off season, because again, I'd finished college in UCD. I was at an age where I needed to look to progress. But again, my body just wasn't in the yeah. in the place to push on. I was looking to come over to America to play. You know, USL I had a couple of connections over there, and I was close to you know kind of booking a flight coming over to play or to practice with a team to see if it worked out. But again, my knee was just never right, yeah. and so I didn't, I didn't do that. And then I ended up signing for UCD again for that season, and that season again was just littered with injuries. You know, my knee, my back. Then I um, we played us in mid-season. We always do friendlies against English opponents or or whoever. We played a, a game against Swindon Town. And um, just a scrimmage or whatever, but like a competitive game for us and for them to kind of get taken over for the start of their season coming up. Um, I went up for a header, and as I went up to head the ball, their striker like smashed into my legs, and I flipped, and landed straight in my head. Oof. So again, the I guess paramedics came onto the field, uh, put my neck in a brace, and had to get stretched off the hospital and get like a scan on my neck and. So it turned out that I had, um, well, no, initially they said, no, you're fine, you, you know, I'll go home, you know, nothing's really wrong with you. 
your grand. So then I went out with, with, with my friends that night because it was, it was their like engagement party. Uh-huh. And then the next morning, I get a phone call from the hospital. Hey, um, can you come back into the hospital? We may have, you know, kind of misread your scan. What? So, so the next How does morning, that happen? Yeah, so the next morning I go in and they do the scan again. They're like, yeah, yeah, you've kind of separated vertebrae in your neck. You're just walking around, yeah, you know, so having you a good to, time with yeah, your mates. Yeah, and so they said you separated vertebrae in your neck, so you need to wear a neck brace for, you know, six to eight weeks to, you know, figure that out. So I had to wear a neck brace for six to eight weeks, and that was me, or that, or that was my season pretty much done. You know, um, and I think that I did get back for the last couple of games of the season, but then even when I got back for the last couple of games of the season, like my knee just wasn't right, tendonitis in my knees, my lower back was was in bits because of two slip discs in my lower back, and it was affecting my hamstrings, and then obviously with this neck injury as yeah. well, just my body was just, it was just telling me like, yeah. it's just, you can't do it anymore, yeah. you know, so the season ended, again, disappointingly, we we uh we didn't quite make playoffs and when we probably should have and um I probably knew kinda of going into that last game, like like we had to win that last game to get to get into playoffs and I knew if we didn't win this game it was probably my last game. Because I wasn't gonna push my body to a limit where like I'm gonna be struggling in a couple yeah. of years to, you know, move around or whatever. Um so took a couple of weeks in the off season to think it over and talk to people and then I was I was just like, yeah, it's, it's time for me to call it a day in terms yeah. of playing at that level, you know, like my body just can't take it and I can't take it, you know, because I was in bad places with all my injuries, you know, just injury after injury after injury, could never get right, so I just called it a day and again, my League of Ireland career was over and again, you know, me playing at that level was over and I just had to focus now on the next chapter which was kind of coaching yeah. I was quite excited about that like, but again I was devastated that I couldn't play right. because I love love playing you know with my passion but again I needed to you know kind of figure out a new passion and again I was still staying in the game still coaching um, so again yeah, yeah kind of that was my next chapter to you know go ahead and coach and so that was the end of 2016 and then I was still coaching at UCD and I was, you know, I, I had my B license and I knew in Ireland I couldn't be a full-time coach, I need to have a job as well. So I started to explore different options in terms of the States or Canada or wherever. And then one of my friends who I was coaching at UCD, he knew someone out here who was looking for a coach and then he put me in contact with him and then sent him a CV, a couple of Skype chats and then within like three or four weeks, uh, I decided to come out here oh, wow. to, to experience, I guess, full-time coaching yeah. in a new environment, uh, in a new culture, for nine months anyway, and see how that went. So I came out here 2017, March, and then, yeah, fast forward three years, I'm still here. Still rolling. Yeah, so yeah, it's a lot different to back home, but uh, it's good as well. Like I'd yeah. never coached girls before I came over here, and now... I pretty much only coach girls. Except you seem like you seem like a great girl to coach. Yeah, so again, I really, really like you know coaching girls. Um, again, it's just not that big back home yeah. in terms of girls uh, soccer. I always used to coaching boys, you know. Um, now I enjoy coaching boys as well, but over here, you know, 
I guess you know girls soccer is massive isn't it and yeah, everyone wants to play is. and the national team are like number one in the world as well so again it's you know really enjoyable there's definitely a lot of opportunity in it and it's just I think with that it's more about like understanding the type of personality you're working with it seems like I mean our teams have scrimmaged a few times and just seeing how the girls like interact with you and stuff it seems like they love you you know and uh, I know that you are now coaching high school girls as well. Um, is, is, this is your first season with them, right? Or was um, your first season? Yeah, so I was I was two years with the with the with the boys um, high school. Uh-huh. So with the boys team, so I was assistant coach for the boys team for two years. Yeah. In CCA at Covenant Christian Academy, and then this year, um, the girls head coach had decided to leave, and um, just for different reasons. And then I um, I was offered the position, and then um, yeah, I, I decided to take it. Now I knew I knew this year the girls' team probably wouldn't be as strong as previous years because they were losing a lot of seniors who started last year, mm-hmm. and then we didn't have many freshmen who knew about who were coming into the school. So it was going to be like a project and, yeah. and kind of like a building process, and it was going to take time for us to kind of get the girls up to speed. Um, season started off again. It's 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 tough in the in, in the private schools because a lot of your scrimmages early in the season. It's hard to know what other teams are going to be like, and our school probably isn't known for soccer. Yeah, you know, on the girls on the girls side especially, um, we only had one player who plays club soccer, and she'd be our goalkeeper. Yeah, that's right. Um, and whereas the rest of them. You know, I've never really played soccer before, and um, but but they're all great kids, and they're all you know fantastic people. You know, um, so start of the season was rough. We took a couple of heavy defeats, and I, as I said before, I'm a big believer on you know playing out from the back, playing the right way, mm-hmm. and I tried that with the girls, being open, expansive. But again, I needed to realise quickly that these girls don't play soccer. Yeah, maybe some of them aren't as athletic as they probably should be, which yeah. is fine. Um, so I need to figure out a way for them to play to be competitive. So I kind of went against a lot of stuff I believe yeah. in to put these girls in a position to be competitive so they would start enjoying the game. Mm-hmm. So again, for us at CCA this year, it was very much defend, defend, defend. Don't try pass. with fast players in our attacking positions, kick it over the top yeah. and squeeze and see if we can create chances. So again, it wasn't the prettiest, you know, to watch, but it was um it was effective over time. Yeah. We got better at defending, we squeezed the gaps better, we closed the distances between units better, um, and then we did cause I guess havoc on, on the counter attack. Um, but again for me as a club coach, that's not something that I'd like to yeah. instill in my players, but again, I'm not coaching soccer players. Like, like they aren't soccer players yeah. at CCA. They're just students who choose to play soccer for yeah. that period. Um, and then over time, then we started the district, lost our first game, 3-2. Probably should have done better than that game. Lost our second game, 4-0. And then next game, we won... 2-1, next game we won 1-0, uh, next game we lost 
1-0 and we won our last game 2-0 so Decent. we ended up getting to playoffs so oh, that was man. great um, but then like we knew like I mean getting to playoffs from where we started was fantastic great achievement finished second in district so that was great some of, some of our girls got personal honours in terms of all district teams yeah. first district team and all so that was great but we knew coming into playoffs we were facing against uh, uh, Dallas Covenant who were extremely strong lots of club players so we knew it was going to be a big ask for us to even compete with them so we played them last week uh, in their place and they ended up beating us 5-0 but again it was only 2-0 at half time and again the goals we conceded were sloppy and yeah. but now listen they were way better than us yeah. but some of the goals we conceded were gifts yeah. you know and I try to tell the girls listen we need to make sure we're making it difficult for the opponents to score against us we can't be giving good teams you know gifts yeah. we need to make them work for it so that was disappointing but second half we did actually you know come out and play and make it difficult for them whereas first half they were just having it too easy yeah. so it, it was a good year it ended a lot better than how it started um, and the girls started to enjoy it as it went on but um, yeah it's definitely it's definitely different from coaching club where your standards are or for me like my standards are extremely high you know for my players and you probably feel that, you probably feel that you have you know some of your 2010s or 08s like technically might yeah, be better probably, yeah, yeah. That's, that's fair and then when it comes to the CCA I need to kind of lower them expectations yeah. so it's not fair for me to you know get after the girls for yeah. a bad touch and not moving them to the right positions I need to kind of lower my expectations but I'll still I'll still let them know they can do better and it's yeah. not me like you know, kind of being really harsh to the girls is me trying to make them a better player. Yeah, and, and setting the standard. Yeah, some of the girls be like, oh, coach, you're really mean to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, girls, if, if I didn't kind of I get after you or hold you accountable to a certain standard, then I'm not doing my job. Right. Shows I don't care. So exactly. I may be a little bit different to, to the previous coach and how they work, but you know, this is how I work all cheer I'll applaud you and do something well mm -hmm. you know I'll always be you know that coach who says yes well done well done yeah. you know but if you don't do something that I know you can do I'll be like hey listen can we do that a little bit better right. you know can you move your feet into a better position to strike the ball instead of swinging for it you know can you adjust your body to you know receive in the back foot or you know whatever or attack the ball instead of ducking you know I hate that when players don't hit yeah. the ball yeah. when they should hit the ball um, so yeah no I do have standards but I have to lower them for the high school and yeah over time I I began to enjoy it a lot more yeah you know? when you just kind of let your guard down per se yeah. and just like accepted the situation for what it was I mean I'm sure like you said it was frustrating not being able to work on what you wanted to work on as a coach but at the same time you know your job as a coach is to do the best with what you have and put your team in the best position to be successful as they can. So obviously you had to recognize like the types of players that you had and what kind of tactics suited them the best. And so it gives you an opportunity to work on something maybe you consider a weakness as a coach. You know what I mean? Like, you know, working on the more, uh, uh, you know, defensive setup and then obviously the intangible stuff to just teaching them how to compete and like, you know, really like motivating them to just bring the best out in themselves. So, you know, it sounds like you're doing a great job with them and 
definitely looking forward to seeing how they continue to develop. I know we're kind of cutting it close here. You probably got to get going here in a few minutes, but we definitely are going to do another one sometime soon to talk more about your coaching specifically. Um, but before we do send you off, there are a couple of questions that I just wanted to ask you just to kind of review and, and um, you know, leave everyone with a clear message. So the first one is kind of what is next for you over the next year, five years, ten years? Um, again, for me, I guess on a personal level, um, in terms of coaching, I guess I'd be looking to kind of push on now and do my A license, mm -hmm. you know, because it's been maybe four years now since I've done my B license, so it's about time now I, I look to get the next qualification. I think I've had enough time, experience, you know, kind of to put me in a good position to do my A license. Um, in terms of where I want to be, I probably want to be coaching the best players. You know, I want to, I'm ambitious at I'm ambitious as a coach. I want to be coaching the best players. I don't want to be a coach that is consistently losing their best players to bigger clubs. You know, I want to be a coach that is coaching the top talent and making mm -hmm. them even better. Yeah. You know, and you know if that's coaching at a college level, great. If it's coaching whatever DA, ECNL, whatever, whatever is the best kind of fit for me and my family. But I, I definitely want to push on and try coach. You know, the best players possible. Yeah. Um, Awesome. So looking back, you know, you've had a lot of ups and downs. Um, I can think of a few that you've already talked about in terms of like your down moments, like obviously the injuries, you know, getting rejected by a couple of schools or sorry, just clubs, you know, trying to uh, break through. What, what do you view as the biggest challenge you've faced and on your journey? And what did you do to kind of get yourself in the mindset to overcome those challenges? I guess for me, like my biggest challenge was kind of dealing with injuries and trying to stay as positive as possible, and um, you know, and try to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I, sometimes I did do a good job of, you know, recognizing right, I'm injured now. I'll be back in six weeks. How do I keep my body in a good shape to, you know, and when I do come back, I'm in a good position to uh, compete for a spot. And um, sometimes I didn't do a good job of that. Um, and I was guilty of just kind of sulking about it and dropping into a depression, kind of, in terms of getting real down on myself and not working. Like, just say if I had an injury, like a lower limb injury or, or whatever, like a muscle injury, like, I could still be doing stuff to keep my body in decent right. shape, but I'd just be, like, so depressed. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. I sit down and watch TV. It would even affect my school, like in terms of my education. Uh, I get really down, so I need to do a better job of that. But that was a big challenge for me, trying to, I guess, block out the demons. And because I mean, when you're injured, for me, I was injured so much. It was it was hard to block it out. I needed to, if I'm, if I'm looking back now, I needed to do a better job of seeing the positives, you know, with an injury and how it can make me come back stronger. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that okay in some moments but probably overall I didn't do a great job yeah. of in terms of dealing with injuries and maybe looking after my body the way I should have when I was injured because at least when you're playing if you're not eating the right stuff or you're not doing the right things you're still getting that activity whereas if you're not able to play and you're not looking after your body the right way it's just not going to be good yeah so do you think that like the way you know 
you overcoming those challenges was more on the side of just trying to like you know continuously like repeat to yourself and and uh, the the positive things that that you're trying to believe and like really direct yourself on the path to getting back to healthy or was it more of okay if I want to prevent this in the future these are the steps that I need to take to make sure I am am healthy enough to play at a high level. Yeah, I needed to be positive about what I was doing. I needed to figure out, you know, ways to strengthen my body in them, like in them areas, so I wouldn't re-injure that part of my body. Um, now, sometimes I was really good about doing my rehab, and sometimes I got lazy yeah. and didn't do it to the best of my ability. And maybe that played a part in me getting injured on a consistent basis yeah. and kept on recurring my injuries. And um, so it's it's hard to know but again it's difficult you know it's difficult when you have injury after injury after injury after yeah. injury and then it's hard to get you know any type of consistent level of play when you get back because you could get back for three weeks get injured out for four weeks get back for two weeks injured for six weeks yeah. so I was never really in the team for a uh, I guess consistent length of time Probably my 2015 season was probably my longest time of playing games yeah. without having to take four months or six months away injury. So. Yeah, yeah, and I know how that feels, man. I, I dealt with the same thing. I had never really been hurt, actually, until I got to college, but just the workload I had never experienced in my life. You know, you're going from, you know, club soccer here, you train two, three days a week, and then you go to university and you're training two, three times a day. So it's like, yo, what's going on here? Like, and, and so I can definitely relate to, um, you know, just the whole, like, getting down on yourselves and in the dumps. But, you know, if anyone's listening that's dealing with those same kinds of issues, like, the only thing you can really do is just to keep going. Like, you know what I mean? It, or just quit. You know, you have two choices, basically. So if you make the choice in your head to continue to persevere, then you have to make the right choices to protect your body, you know, what you're eating, what you're drinking, um, the exact specific work that you're doing to strengthen and, and increase mobility in, in certain areas, depending on whatever your injury is. So, you know, I know that a lot of players go through that and, and it's kind of the same thing. Like they get discouraged and then they get lazy and it's like, well, now you're just creating more problems for the future. So that's good. Um, so, you know, when people face these challenges, you know, you pretty much just answered it right there, but why do you think that they, instead of overcoming them, end up just falling off and failing completely? Um, it's probably the easy, easy choice to kind of stop, yeah. isn't it, and not work on it. Um, again, sometimes it can just become kind of too much for people if, if it's the same stuff happening over and over again. And then you, you might just feel like, right, there's nothing I can do to you know, make myself better or to improve the situation. So they do kind of give up and fail um, or stop doing what they need to be doing. Probably why I say you need to be doing kind of when you're in them tough places or dark moments, you know, you need to talk to people. Yeah. Because you need good people around you. You kind of need that support system. Um, that's probably one thing I didn't do. Great. I kind of kept a lot of stuff in and I probably should have been talking to people, you know, either on my team or my family and my friends. Hey, listen, how can I go about this better? I'm feeling like this, you know, what should I be doing? Yeah. And then maybe if I said stuff to them, you know, they give me a kick up the backside here, get the, you know, yeah. out of bed or start doing stuff or, or whatever. So I think it's good to have a, like a support system around you to kind of 
keep you honest, keep you humble, and um, also to lift you up when you need it as well. Because I think we all go through bad moments, and it's about having people there, you know, at the right times to help you. Absolutely, man. Um, so, what does greatness mean to you then? What does greatness mean to me? Um, I mean, for me, I mean, what does greatness mean? I mean, in my life, you know, what 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 greatness mean to me is just being happy. Yeah. Kind of being happy in what I do, being happy at home, and being happy in work. You know, um, a lot of times I I uh, find it hard to switch off between work and home. Uh, starting to do a better job of that now but you know I need to switch off from football whereas when I'm 24-7 like I'll be in bed oh, how can I do better how can I do better yeah. or thinking about sessions or how can I improve a player or you know whereas I need to do a better job of switching off but again uh, just in terms of greatness it's just for me having a happy home and, and being happy in what you do Yeah, you know if you're again I feel like I'm lucky right now. I'm sure you're the same. You know, I get to do what I love as a job, so I'm extremely lucky. Whereas, you know, I I wake up every day excited about the new challenge. Yeah. You know, that presents itself. So I'm excited about going to work every day, going to practice. How can I improve players? How can I make them better on the field and better people? Yeah. You know, and then back home, just again, we're having a little baby. You know, kind of newly married with with my wife. You know. How can we be happy together, you know? And, um, yeah, it's just being happy in what you do. I think that's spot on, man. And, and those three questions all kind of tie together, you know, the biggest challenges and, and why people fail from those challenges. Like, you know, just because maybe I'm getting injured, right, and I make a decision to quit, that doesn't necessarily make me a failure. It just means that I'm choosing something else for my life that is, is going to bring me more happiness like you said you know what I mean like you still are blessed with the opportunity to keep the game a part of your life but you've recognized that you know maybe uh, playing at the top top level is not realistic with the circumstances you know what I mean so you have got to make the best with those circumstances and and I think you know like you said just just trying to build a happy life around what you were given is ultimately what success is so um last few questions what piece of advice would you have given to your younger self growing up um i would say look after your body better in terms of nutrition um take on board more information when people are giving it to you don't think like you know everything like sometimes I have that mentality where oh this player or this person can't help me whereas I thought I knew a lot whereas I should have been a sponge yeah. and soaked everything up and took everything in and kind of you know listen to people a little bit more um, again I probably wish I again looked after my body so I wasn't injured as much as I was um, and maybe if I was able to try out for teams earlier maybe something would have happened but yeah. yeah I'd just say listen to people you know kind of take on board as much information as possible and for me personally 
look after my body better. Yeah. Yeah, that, that thirst for knowledge and information is, like, I think some people are kind of just born with it. You know, they're very, like, they ask a lot of questions as little kids, you know, like, even if as an adult you're like, man, stop asking me so many questions, you know, but they're genuinely trying to, like, get more information. So some kids are just like that and they grow up like that, but then some people you kind of have to develop it, you know. It's like it, you got to just mature to the point where you can put your ego aside and just be like, all right, I can either – maybe look dumb right now by asking this question or I can ask it and I can know the answer and then I will be smarter because of it. I'll be better because of it. No, that's good. So last one. What message do you want to leave people with? Um, just kind of go after your passion. You yeah. know, whatever you want to do, you know, go after it, you know. Um, if you believe in it, you can achieve it, you know. So again, no goal is too high, you know. So if you want to be soccer coach you know go about it the right way if you want to be an accountant go about it the right yeah. way you know um, but again no goal is too high um, and then just just make sure you have a passion for what you want to do you know if you want to be in an office you know 9 to 5 that's great if you want to work you know in open space in the field that's great too but just have a passion for what you do and always want to always see can you get better you know speak to people you know have a again have a have a passion for growth you know because you know we can all get better especially in our profession in soccer the game is always growing it's always changing so we need to be able to change as well mm -hmm. you know you can't be stuck in your beliefs think you need to be able to change and adapt a little bit so again speaking to different people reading books listening to podcasts looking at different sports how they do things and um, Again, being open to kind of new ideas to see how you yourself can grow and then hopefully you can impart that knowledge onto your players and your teams and, you know, they can get better. That's brilliant, man. Hey, appreciate your time. I know we're probably a little bit over and you got to get going, but, man, it's been a pleasure. Um, guys, if you're listening, make sure you subscribe, you leave us a review, you share, do whatever you got to do. Um, thanks again, Tomas. We'll catch you next time, my man. No problem.